Well, as we continue on in uh, the book of Galatians, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to uh, be jumping in there in a moment. But before we get into this, uh, I wanted just to give you a quick update. Um, I haven't gotten to see you in a long time, and I have missed being in Port Clinton. Uh, they have sequestered me to this place called Sandusky, and they finally let me out today, which is really good. But part of that was when Pastor Ryan ended up going up to Michigan, we as a leadership team decided that uh, I would be more predominantly in Sandusky as the campus pastor there, and then Pastor Todd would be here as as the campus pastor. And I know I can speak for Todd, or he is just absolutely thrilled to be here week after week to be with you. But as you can see, over the last few weeks, it actually started a year ago, but the last week and, and months Like even a couple weeks ago, you saw me on video because Pastor Todd was gone because of his son. And actually, you won't be seeing Pastor Todd for at least the next few weeks. Today, he's actually teaching in Norwalk, but the next two weeks, uh, he will be joining his son and his wife, Lisa, to go down to Columbus for a pretty invasive um, operation kind of thing. They're actually, it's called plasmorphosis, and they're going to take Carter's Um, plasma out of his blood and recycle that, putting it back into his body, hoping that that can elevate his immune system and start fighting what's going on in Carter's brain. Uh, Carter is very, very sick. Um, I have seen him and known him for a very long time, and this is taking a toll on him and, of course, Todd and Lisa. And so when you don't see Todd here, just know his heart is with you. He loves you guys, um, but he is fighting a battle that, like we sang, truly belongs to God. And so continue to show him grace, as I know he would for you, and any encouragement you can give him, um, I know it means a lot coming from you. So I just thought we'd just start a time praying for Todd and Carter, and then we'll continue to go forward. So Lord Jesus, I lift up Pastor Todd to you. I know how much he wishes that he could be here over the next couple of weeks so that he wouldn't be going to where he needs to go to be in Columbus with his son. God, we plead with you. Carter is very sick, and I know Todd and Lisa are just continuing to beg you to look to you and the other medical resources to help Carter get back to his normal self again. And so, Lord, encourage Todd as he goes through this next couple of weeks, and may we as the church know that he's not just our pastor. He's our friend, and he's our brother, and we need to come alongside of him just like he would come alongside of us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we jump in today, I want to ask you a quick question. I'm going to show you some movies, and I want you to be thinking about some of these movies. Some of you may not have seen. In fact, I haven't seen them all either. But I want you to start to figure out what do these movies have in common, all right? So we'll start with Back to the Future, all right? And then we're going to add in Mrs. Doubtfire, Legally Blonde, uh, Christmas Vacation, Indiana Jones, Elf, oh, that's the last one, sorry, Elf, <laughs> that's what we laid out. Any idea what all those movies have in common? Well, it has in common what we're going to be reading about today in Galatians 2, 11 through 21. And what we're going to read today has to do with very awkward scenes at a dinner table. Every one of those movies, if you now think about some of those movies, there is an awkward table uh, discussion or scene with other family or friends where it gets crazy. And today, we're going to see with Peter and Paul that there's an awkward uh, situation that happens around the dinner table, so to speak. 
that we want to kind of see what does that have to do with our lives as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us through verse by verse. I'll teach a little bit on what is going on. And then at the end, I want to give you three points that I'm hoping that you and I can apply to our lives as well. So if you have your Bibles, open to Galatians 2 verse 11, and we'll start there. It says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. Now, before we get to what Peter does wrong, let me explain a little of the context in the setting. So there are two groups of people that, that are in the church at this point. There is what we'll call the Jewish Christians and then the Gentile Christians, the Jewish Christians were those who grew up Jewish, who followed the Mosaic law, because they knew if they did that, they would have a relationship with God. That's what you did back then. You would follow the law, and hopefully, if you did it right, you would have this relationship with God. So that's what the Jews used to do. But then, of course, Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus fulfills the law, and now they can just follow Jesus. They don't have to go through the law to get to God. They can just go through Jesus. But they were born as Jews, and so we're going to call them Jewish Christians. And then we have what Gentile Christians are, which Gentiles were the non-Jews. And so that's probably most of us in this room where we didn't have anything to do with the Jewish faith. We came to Jesus, and we've known Jesus. And that's what's happening with this other group. They're Gentile Christians. All they know about faith in Jesus is Jesus alone. Where the Jews, they knew about the law, they followed the law, but now it's Jesus. The Gentiles, it was just Jesus. And Peter, he was a Jewish Christian, if you remember. He followed uh, the law. Jesus came on the scene. He started to follow Jesus. He saw who Jesus was, put his trust in Jesus, and now he became a Christian. So we have these two groups of people. Peter, he comes to visit the church in Antioch, which is full of Gentile Christians, and we see what happens next. Galatians 2, 12. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. Now, I don't think I have to tell you what circumcision is. I won't go into detail here. If you have questions about that, Pastor Todd will be back in a few weeks. You can ask him about that. But circumcision was an outward sign of the Jewish faith. It was part of following the law. So here is Peter, he arrives, he hangs out with these Gentile believers who weren't circumcised because they didn't need to be. They were just following Jesus. They didn't know anything about the law. And Peter, he says, I want to hang out with my brothers in Christ. And so he gets to eat all foods now because all foods are, are now acceptable to eat because, again, there's no more law. So he sits down with these Gentiles, they're eating bacon, having a great time, everything is going well. But... Afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Now, all of a sudden, these believers come, who call themselves believers, these Jewish Christians from this Jewish church, who are from the Jerusalem church, Christian church, but the Jerusalem church, who are acting like they are Christians, and they are, but they're also saying, hey, not only should you follow Jesus, you need to bring the law back into it. 
A few weeks ago when we talked about this book, we said they were called the Judaizers. These Judaizers came on the scene and said, yeah, follow Jesus. Jesus is good. But you also, to have this full relationship with God, you also have to add in the law of Moses. So not only do you follow Jesus, you also follow the 600 laws in the Mosaic law. Well, Peter, he's hanging out with this group of Gentiles, and he sees these people come in, and all of a sudden, he becomes a people pleaser again. Remember how we read in Galatians 1.10, Paul says, don't please people anymore. Well, Peter, he begins to please people. He goes back to his old way. He says, okay, you know what, now I probably should go with these Jewish Christians again. I probably should start, yeah, still following Jesus, but now I need to follow the law again. And kind of like it was in high school, you know how you had this kind of table for these people and this table for these people? Now in the church, it went from one body of Christ, Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians together in Christ, now they're split again. Now you have this table of Jewish Christians who say, I'm going to follow Jesus and follow the law. This other table, it says, it's just Jesus. And the church, at this dinner table, it's disunified now. There's division in the church because it's split by this Mosaic law. Well, Paul's like, this can't happen. We are one in Christ. And so he confronts Peter. He says, as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. We all know what hypocrisy is, right? It's saying one thing and doing another thing. Peter said he followed Jesus, believed in Jesus. It was by grace through faith alone. Then all of a sudden, he adds the Jewish law back in. And because of that, it starts to confuse these newer Christians. They're thinking, well, I thought it was just Jesus. Now I have to follow the law? They were confused, and it led people astray, including Barnabas, which was a friend of Paul's. And so now the church is split. People don't know what to do. Peter's hypocrisy leads people this way, even though it should be just one dinner table, one people around the cross, around Jesus. And so Peter, or Paul says, when I, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all of the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Paul's like, Peter, what are you doing? You saw Jesus face to face. You know what he taught. You know that he fulfilled the law. You know it's by grace through faith. You know there shouldn't be two different dinner tables. We all sit around the same dinner table worshiping Jesus alone through faith. We don't add anything to it. It's just by Jesus. So why are you leading people astray? What are you doing? It's one body of Christ, not two. And he goes on in verse 15 and 16. You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. A little bit of a tongue-in-cheek point to make his point here. He says, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not obeying the law. There it is. And we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Someone once wrote and they said, if you want to know how flawed you really are, 
just try to live a good and perfect life. If you really want to try to be a really good person and live a perfect life, try and see how quickly you realize how flawed you really are. And what Paul is saying is, look, you can't keep the rules and find favor with God. Because if you try to be a really good person, you will break one or multiple laws of the 600 laws that were in the Mosaic Law. You can't be a good person to get to God. You can't follow the law to get to him. You have to get to God by Jesus alone. That's it. And so he continues to go on in verses 17 through 19. It's a little bit convoluted, but basically, Paul, he anticipates these Judaizers starting to go back at him and say, yeah, but listen, what happens if you're a Jesus follower and you may not break the law, but you start to sin? And basically, Paul says, of course, I'm still going to sin. But that's what's so great about Jesus. Jesus is my savior. He forgives me. I have faith in him by what he's done for me. Even if I sin, even if I break the law, it doesn't matter because in God's eyes, I am righteous because the righteousness of Jesus has been given to me. And then a passage, it just is so beautiful that I want to land on here and then talk a little bit later, but just such a beautiful passage that I hope is our life passage. He says, look, my old life, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I just want you to pause and reflect on those words. It is not myself anymore. That old self, that thought that you had to follow the law to get to God, or this old self that was ruled by my own passions and desires, that life is now gone. Jesus took it and crucified it with him. It is dead. And now I live by Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Paul literally says, look, if the law could bring you to God, if you could obey the law perfectly, then Jesus didn't have to die. But Jesus did die because none of us are perfect. None of us can keep the rules. None of us are moral enough or good enough to get to God. So God had to come down to us. And he dies on a cross. And he raises three days later. And he wants us to trust in him and believe in him so that his spirit comes in us and now lives in us and through us. And now we live this new life by Jesus living in us and through us. What a beautiful passage this is. And so what I want to do, that's kind of the story of this division that's happening in the church. But then all of a sudden, Paul says, we need to address this so there's no division anymore. And he brings us back to Christ. And that's what I want to do for the last few moments that we have together. I want to look at three ways that you and I can apply this text to our lives. And I'm hoping that we'll just be honest and allow things to really take place in our hearts that God's word will dictate. And the first is this. The first point is we are freed to unite. Uh, we watched last week in service, if you were here, uh, Dan Orlovsky's prayer after um, the injury that happened to DeMar Hamlin. 
DeMar Hamlin was a Bills player. He gets hit by T. Higgins of uh, the Bengals. He goes into cardiac arrest, and, you know, they almost watched him die right there on the, on the field. And what's so powerful to me about that isn't just Orlovsky's prayer and, and things that happened from there, but when I was watching the game, I wasn't watching at the time. My friends had turned it on, so I did. And I watched how you saw the Bengals players and you saw the Bills players and, of course, their opponents. But when Hamlin's on the field, you see these Bills players and you see these Bengals players, they're intermixed. Even though they may have had different jerseys on, at that point, they're united. They're united by their brotherhood. They're united by the game. They're united that hopefully DeMar lives. They are in this together. Even though they're opposing teams, which they play again today, coincidentally, and they want to win, at the end of the day, it's not about winning. It was about being unified. And the same thing is true we read in the passage Jewish Christians may have had a different jersey, and the Gentile Christians may have had a different jersey, but at the end of the day, even though they were different, they were called to be around the table of Christ, that it didn't matter what they were born into or when they believed or how they believed, but at the end of the day, they were one at the same table, united by Christ. And that's how it should be in the church, right? But one of the reasons Paul writes this letter not just to the Galatian churches, but to us is it's not always like that. I see so many things that divide the church, even though at the end of the day we should be about Jesus. I don't remember the exact number, but I remember reading, and I may be way off, but I think I'm close. There are well over 20,000 denominations in Jesus' church. Think about that. There was supposed to be one dinner table. Everyone may have looked different and came from different places and believed in a different way but brought them to Jesus. That's how it should be. But now we are so separated. We should be united. And though we're not divided by the law of Moses like the Gentiles and the Jew Christians were, we are so divided by so many things. I want to tell you a few of those today. Charles Spurgeon, uh, such a great uh, preacher in the 1800s and early 1900s, He said there's four different things that divide us, and they all rhyme, so hopefully you'll remember. The first is race. Oftentimes, if someone has a different color skin than us, or they were born in a certain area, or they're a different nationality, whatever it is, that can easily divide us, even in the church. The next thing that rhymes with race is face. This isn't something I worry about, because I don't have to struggle with my good looks, but some of you, you probably do. But how often we look a certain way, our body looks a certain way, and because of that, we think we're better than other people who may be heavier than us or look differently than us. And that can divide people just by our outward appearance. So you have race, face, place. Many of us were born in certain communities, and because we were born in certain communities, we judge other people who may be born in different communities than us. I remember as a little boy, now I live, grew up and live in Sandusky, still do, but I lived in the Perkins side of Sandusky. And if you know anything about the Sandusky area, when you're in Perkins and you're going north towards the lake, what separates Perkins and Sandusky is Perkins Ave. It goes straight through. And I remember as a little boy, basically my family would tell me, once we crossed Perkins Ave, there were those kinds of people. 
How sad is that? Or I remember when I was, I, uh, my, my dad moved to Bayview, and I lived in Bayview for a long time, and there was certain parts of Bayview even where we just didn't go there because we thought we were better than them. And that can so divide us even in the church. Our skin color, our race, our face, what we look like, our place, where we live. And this one is probably the worst in the church. Grace. We know that we are saved by the grace of God. And some of us have been Christians for a very long time. And because you were born in a Christian home for a long time, you were a really good person. And all of a sudden, you didn't even notice this. But pretty quickly, even though God redeemed you, you began to to be above people and look down on people who were different than you or that their lives look different. Even though they believe the same gospel as you, you judge them because their name was in the police blotter, or they lived this kind of life, or they did this, or they did that. Again, we're still talking about Christians here, but we can start looking down on people. That's when Jesus, he came to confront the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. They were supposed to be right with God, but they looked down on people who were less than them. So often we can do that in the church. I have family members who call themselves Christians, and I really believe they are, but they're so judgmental of other people. I'm thinking to myself, how can you judge people who are just like you? They believe the same message as you do. Yeah, they may have lived differently, or they believed differently for a long time, but we're supposed to be at one dinner table here, folks. Race, place, face, and grace should never separate us. We're one in Christ. Pastor Jay was telling us about our mission experiences coming up, uh, Cuba in April and, and Burundi in June, northern Spain, the Basque Country in July, and the, and the orphanage that we support in Mexico in July as well. And not only do I want to encourage you to go on a mission experience, but we were talking about how when you go on these experiences, you go with people of different races and different places and different faces and different graces. And yet, it's so interesting. When you're there and you realize you're there for Jesus, to serve Jesus, you become united together. It's so beautiful what happens when you say, you know what, let's put our differences aside. Let's come together one dinner table, even though our jerseys may look differently, one dinner table to serve other people, and you come together and you realize it's all about Jesus. We're freed to unite. Spurgeon also says we're freed to confront. Some of you, when you get permission to confront people, you are ready to go to battle. I mean, you're like, give me those boxing gloves on. I'm ready to go. Others of you, when you need to confront someone, you run so far away from confrontation that you don't even want to be there when it happens. Some of us want to confront. Some of us don't want to confront. But we ought to confront, especially when things are happening in the church that's bringing division and disunity, whatever that thing is. It's interesting what Proverbs says. Proverbs 27, five through six says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The people in your life that are willing to say, look, I love you, but you have this wrong in your relationship with God are the people that truly, truly do love you. People that see something that's wrong in your life but don't say anything, those are your enemies. They may be your best friend, but they're your enemy because they know something about your faith they're not saying to you. We need to be confronted, or we need to confront. If we see something that could divide the church or hurt our own faith, 
And from this passage, here's a few ways that you may need to confront someone or be confronted by. And if you see this in me today, don't you all come running up afterwards. Go one at a time, please. But you may confront me if you want to. (laughs) If someone suggests there's more than one gospel than Jesus, there's not many ways to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. If you hear that, talk to somebody about that. If there is an air of superiority over someone else, if you feel just someone's walking around and they feel like they're better than somebody in the name of Jesus, they've never read Philippians 2, which says Jesus emptied himself, gave himself up for others. That's what needs to be in the church. You need to confront someone if they're prideful. If religion and rituals shroud the simplicity of the gospel, if people are clinging to what we've always done, this is what we do, then what the gospel is about, we need to confront that. If there is a scent of hypocrisy, someone says they like Jesus and love Jesus and believe in Jesus, but their lives don't look like Jesus, we got to confront that. If there's more passion or winning arguments, I should say, if there's more passion for winning arguments than the gospel, I know a lot of people who know have a lot of knowledge. Proverbs says, knowledge and passion with that knowledge can be dangerous. If you know someone that just wants to fight all the time, and they'd rather fight than truly live out the gospel, the humility and the love that comes from that, call them out on it. Or maybe you need to be called out on that. And that was it. Okay, so those are the things that we want to confront on. And then finally, Not only are we free to unite and we're free to confront, but we're also freed to really live. Some of us, we say we believe in Jesus, but are we really free to live? Live the life God has for you. Speaking of Pastor Todd, when Pastor Todd came to uh, Sandusky, he moved um, to this house on Pennsylvania Avenue. Not that that really matters to the story, but that's where he was. And I started to follow Jesus at that time, and he would always welcome me into his house and I got to see how he was as a husband and as a father and as a dad, or husband and father and pastor, and I wanted to be like that. I remember we would be in his kitchen, and he'd be cooking food, and above his kitchen, he had John 10.10. 10. And it was a verse that I memorized because I saw it all the time in his house. I spent a lot of time there because he gave me free food. And he said, it says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give life, and life to the full. You who are in Jesus, should have the fullest, most passionate, most loving, most humble, most generous life than anybody on this planet. That's why, again, Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What I want to do as we close our time is I just want to leave this verse on the screen. And I just want you, in the silence of this morning, to reflect on that that verse. And to ask yourself, are you really living freely? Are you going back to an old way or your old self? Because that is dead and gone. Embrace the Jesus that gave his life for you and now lives in you through the Spirit and wants to live through you to serve and love other people. And sometimes we just need to, again, go back to what the gospel says and to sit in that to remember who he is and who we are in light of that. So just take the next few moments to do that, and then I'll end in prayer.
Oh God, it grieves your heart when we allow things to divide the church. In the Galatians day, it was the law of Moses. In our day, there's so many other things. May you unite us at one table under one Lord as one church. I pray for those in this room, that includes me, who've gone back to old ways or are trying to grit out their life through their own strength, that they would crucify that kind of life with Jesus, who died for that, who resurrected to give us new life. May we embrace this new life so we could have this sweet, intimate fellowship with you so that others can take that fruit from our lives and be nourished from our lives as well. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. Still you love